Um, for today's podcast, we have a guest, Sujata Subramanian, who is both a feminist activist in her own right, coming from India, and also is a, a doctoral candidate at Ohio State University. Um, her work has had great impact on how I have, for instance, been thinking about the next generation feminists coming from India who are digital feminists, but also digital street feminists. And I wanted to include her um, in this podcast to think through various issues with her around um, what it means to do intersectional work, either as a feminist or whatever else we may choose to call ourselves. So, Sujata, welcome. Thank you for spending time doing this. Um, where would you like to take our conversation? Uh, so, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to speak to you as always. Uh, and I'm excited to see what we come up with. Um, I think I'm just thinking through some of the things that we've talked about earlier. One of which is, you know, thinking about um, our identities as maybe activists, thinking about our location, whether it is within the boundaries of India or whether it is in what is considered the diaspora and how we are making use of the online spaces uh, that we have access to. And I was just thinking about how my own sort of like thoughts about this have really shifted uh, since 2015, which is when I wrote the article for EPW that you were, dis- uh, you were talking about. And I think uh, moving between India and the US has had something to do with it. And I think also just being here in India in the aftermath of the Indian elections uh, has also sort of made me think about how I think of online spaces and how I think of the relationship between online spaces and offline spaces. Um, so for those of you uh, who are new to this, but uh, the uh, India had its Central Assembly elections in 2019 this year. And um, the party that came to power is a Hindu right-wing party. And they had like massive popular support. Um, so I think what happened in the aftermath of the elections was that a lot of us were very confused about what had happened and what had gone wrong. And how do we move from here, like, you know, if we are people who are invested in resisting fundamentalism and religious uh, right-wing ideologies of any kind, how do we intervene in this, right? And what do we what do we have as tools? Uh, what can we make use of? How do we play to our strengths? So I think uh, in the course of conversations that I had with a lot of people who also were thinking of similar questions, I think something that came up was that you know, we have to make use of online spaces, but we also need to be able to um, integrate like offline and online better. And I feel like this seems to be a conversation that comes up over and over. And it's it's definitely not new, uh, you know, the, the tension between how do we, you know, uh, draw connections between online and offline spaces. But I feel like there are these moments of crisis uh, where we feel like our use of online tools is not effective enough, right? Um, and I think some of that also has to do with, like I said, 
my movement between the US and India because uh, while I was a student in the US, I was still making use of Facebook primarily, I think, uh, to keep up with conversations that were happening around Indian politics, the Indian feminist movement, the Indian anti-caste movement. But I always felt like I was at a distance, right? Uh, I never, I think even when I was online, where I was geographically placed made a lot of difference to me. And that to me is surprising. Uh, I never thought that I would think of the online and the offline as so connected. But I did feel very distant from everything that was happening in the US. And uh, for me to come back to India, like being here physically present, uh, has also made a difference in how I use online spaces, I think. So I was just thinking about what you said of, you know, uh, the 2016, the 2015 article and my own sort of like ambivalence about that and, and also just my own ambivalence about, you know, uh, being, like, I don't know if I uh, identify uh, with a diasporic identity. I think I'm still sort of shifting and I, I don't quite know how I place myself, but I think I'm, I've been thinking about what it means to be engaged as a person who's based in the diaspora and uh, being able to engage politically and, and what does a sense of belonging, like a sense of rootedness have to do with any of that? So, I mean, I don't have any answers, but I, I it was interesting to like move between these positions. Yeah. Yes, I think that's very important that that uh, I don't necessarily always find that nuance in the voices coming directly from India that have not done the uh, transnational traveling even uh, not not as a tourist I'm or, or as somebody giving talks, but somebody who has had to uproot and live. Uh, even if you are not diasporic, you might have come for um, to live here for uh, on their terms, right? So you have your own graduate student stipend, and you are functioning within the infra academic infrastructures, and are socially subject to different kinds of uh, power structures uh, a a a locally in where in where you are, which would be Ohio for you. Um, and that changes the way you think about how the East and the West, for instance, are characterized from India. And that, was, that predates India uh, internet times. But also, then you look at the voices coming, correct me if I'm wrong, coming from India, and you go, that's pretty India-centric. Um, and perhaps then to mobilize some of the conceptual terms that I'm hearing here in my women's studies program, in that particular way, either adds or takes away or a nuance that needs to be perhaps investigated. Have you thought about these issues in, in terms of the concept, maybe thinking in terms of what happens in terms of intersectionality, how the concept appeared to you. My question then to you is how do we then think in terms of being intersectional feminists 
And again, I suffer from the identity crisis of am I an Indian feminist or am I uh, a woman of color feminist in the U.S.? And that's another question I will ask later about what it means to be a person of color in the U.S. Um, while um, in your case this may not be true, in my case it is, coming from an upper class, upper caste background in India, there are multiple vectors, so to speak, of marginalization and privilege and how they function in shifting. But all these can be used in your talking, so I will try to minimize my talking. So, I mean, I have a question, but maybe first I can just talk about what, like, how do I think of the concept of intersectionality or how do I even see all parts of my identity as I move between these two geographies. Uh, so, I mean, I think for me, I think one of the things that was frustrating about living in the US and I think one of the things that caused me like a lot of homesickness was just not being able to talk about all parts of my identity and uh, being seen as a brown woman, only and only a brown woman, right? So, I mean, thankfully in my class there there has, there is a, I mean, I have a, I have a colleague who's also from India, she's a woman from India and I have a professor who's of Indian descent so I kind of imagined that there would be a space to talk about caste uh, and, and talk about, like, you know, instead of talking about a South Asian experience or talking about an Indian experience, like trying to bring in questions of caste or class and then, you know, talk about that. But there wasn't always... It kind of becomes even more pronounced when, like you said, you, you know, interact with the Indian community in the U.S., uh, which seems very close to questions of caste. So I think at that point, online space like Facebook especially became that place for me where I could talk about caste, right? Uh, and, and where I could be in conversation with people who were talking about caste because otherwise it just felt like, you know, there was this silence that was being imposed on me uh, while I was in the US and I think in that way it's more liberating for me to be in India because I mean just in terms of numbers there are more people like me here uh, also considering that a lot of the scholars in you know Indian scholars who come to the US are upper caste right so uh, I would be like someone who's not upper caste would I mean I might be wrong here but I feel like I'm in a minority uh, even if I don't know if I'm numerically a minority, but in terms of really just how much space I have, I feel like I'm a minority there. So coming back to India um, also allows me to have a greater range of conversations with people, right? Like I'm able to see myself more clearly as a political subject here uh, as compared to what I see my identity in the US, where I feel like I'm only like a brown student, like I said. You there, your screen is frozen. Oh, no, that's Hello. fine. It'll come. It'll come. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So, uh, like I was saying, I feel like there in the U.S., it's, and I think it might like uh, have to do with, like you said, you know, still being sort of new to the U.S., and I wonder if that will change, you know, maybe if I spend 20 years more or so, but I think right now it's still about me negotiating that space. So, I feel very like a brown woman and, and not much else. But when I come back to India, there's so many other things in which... I feel like I can participate, right? Like now here, I mean, I'm 
presently doing my PhD field work and so I mean I feel like there are there are things that I can contribute to that conversation either you know things I can talk like contribute to in conversations around homelessness or caste or all of that so just I feel more myself here you know I feel like there's a there's a there's a recognition of all of my complexity and all of the parts of my identity while I'm here um so yeah but I think the question that I had for you was when you said that you know uh, some of the discourse that is coming out from India around the internet maybe and around the activism on the internet uh, is local I, I kind of wanted to know what you meant by that word local uh, in India okay yeah right now what you talked about is the loss of identity of people who come from India in terms of our multiple vectors, our multiple um, uh, identities, um, and also there's this loss of community. So, for instance, coming away from India as an upper caste person, for me, is a loss of a particular kind of privilege of years of uh, accumulated cultural capital that is location-specific which doesn't necessarily transfer to the next generation. And the transferring of this privilege to the next generation would happen if I engaged actively with the Indian community here and the Indian diasporic community that, as we know, is, is very actively uh, uh, fostering community in a caste-blind manner, seemingly caste-blind manner, but a very much of a caste framework. Uh, so, which, which interestingly then manifests differently on your location, since you are not of the upper caste location, uh, in, in an erasure of your caste identity, not necessarily in a positive way, because the Indian community recognizes your past identity, at least the older generations, intuitively, and you don't exist. And yet, in that kind of an Indian community, and yet, as a, as a woman of Indian descent, and as a brown woman, as a person of color, in the U.S., in your classrooms, you are being implicitly um, hailed, so to speak, as a subject that you are not. And so that that is very complex compared to what someone like me might experience as a loss of privilege and a loss of community support. Um, in, you have also lost community of support and a certain kind of privilege. But uh, on the other hand, someone like me might have felt liberated from particular patriarchal structures uh, coming into this structure of the Indian diaspora community because of my caste location, whereas in your case, there might have been different intersections of liberation from structures, politics, 
but the Indian community may not validate your existence, nor, nor is the U.S. academia or, or the larger community which views you as a brown woman. So you don't feel recognized. In terms of that, what I have realized that each play, the, the Indian activisms are located in the Indian space and then there is an assumption of transnational connectivity. Also, there is a conflating of identity. There is an erasure of the history of subject positions. And so in that sense, it's happening on both sides. The internal hierarchies of these communities are flattened in these modes, which is what I'm thinking of when Thanks. moving to intersectionality needs to be questioned right. and reframed. Yes. Right, right, okay, right, absolutely. Yeah, I think that thing of, you know, hierarchy is being flattened. I think this was also something that I would think about in the context of, like, syllabi, uh, you know, whether it was, like, when I was in the U.S. in courses on decolonial theory or, or on transnational feminism, the, oh, you disappeared, don't, are you there? Don't worry, it comes, it'll come back, I'm okay. here. Okay, so I was saying that in, in the syllabi that I had for these courses, I remember seeing only like very clearly upper caste names, right? So, I mean, I would keep thinking about what are the terms of inclusion of even South Asian voices, right? Like, I mean, it's still better than having an all-white scholar syllabi, but... Like I said, you know, even when there are voices from South Asia, they are very clearly either they're scholars who are already in the diaspora, um, and I don't know if I should give examples of scholars here, oh. but yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, okay, are right. you? So uh, I mean, that's also your comfort level since this is going public. I know. Maybe people who are not South Asian, you know, like even by the larger academic community in the US, the, the terms of inclusion are very limited. Oh, yeah, because so, that is the tokenizing, right? It's, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I will edit out. I, I was just saying that I think there's been an interesting article on this in the context of journalism. Uh, and I'll send you the article. But I think someone is talking something to the effect of, like, being an informant. I think they, they have a spe specific phrase. But they talk about how when people from the West want to write about India, they will not give up the privilege of the byline. But they will just be like, oh, can you do this research for me, right? Or can you can you do this groundwork for me? And and so I think, again, I think it might go back to the passing of the mic. And I know that we need to <laughs> think about that term as well. But but really just like how, you know, it's sort of like the call center industry in some way in terms of how the labor gets outsourced. Yeah. So that, I mean, I'm thinking of this because this is a question that I'm struggling with like right now as I'm doing my research and you know questions of labor and authorship are one but appropriation is not just of labor right like appropriation is also of people's experiences and people's suffering and and I mean I think you know even when we talk about privilege like I mean in the hierarchy of things in India I'm like my identity is not a super privileged one as a Bahujan woman I'm not extremely privileged but the site that I'm doing my research in which is a children's home like a, a you know an institution where uh, girls are detained I do have a lot of privilege there right like my privilege in that space is 
relatively more way way more than the children who are there so i mean i'm just thinking about you know what is my scholarship then and and you know like thinking of my research as intervention like thinking of my research is not just documentation but really what can i do in terms of intervention and i know that's not an easy question ever but really just like i don't know can i have some skills that might allow me to intervene in terms of policy that policy around juvenile justice anything really that might you know make like a material change to the institution um because i don't know i think we always need to keep asking ourselves oh, it's a question that we need to be totally honest about right like it's a question that i mean especially if we are people who entered academia because we feel like this is not just another source of livelihood but this matters you know in a, like how the world is and if we you know have yes. like are entering it from to with with like a social justice objective i know this sounds so pretentious so what can you use about your location to do exactly what you're saying past the mic as i said there is a mic holder and the mic holder can do something for better or for worse the mic holder doesn't need to give the illusion that they don't exist i think yeah. that's unethical as well right yeah right amplification is also done in context so that ended the episode on a cliffhanger almost I'll be back with Sujata another time. One thing you need to know about the Cyber Diva episodes is we don't edit for perfection. We offer provocations. We also reveal our stutters and the stumbles. And if you are unable to understand our different way of speaking, we ask that you make the effort. A lot of the podcasts I aim to do on this series or whatever it is we call it um will be with people of different backgrounds to raise the question of what it means to do intersectional work feminist or not and what it might mean to quote unquote pass the mic so signing off radhika gajala <laughs>